Welcome all of you to the second Sunday of Advent. We're making preparations for the oncoming of Emmanuel, God with us. That is always a holy, holy time. We are in the First Testament with the prophet Isaiah this morning. We're going to look at a text that is at least familiar to all of us. Uh, it is a text that prepares the way that is used to announce uh, that John the Baptist announces, uh, actually, in the coming of Christ in particular. You know, as I was, when I was a boy, I, I watched a lot of television when I wasn't at a baseball or a hockey or a golf practice or game or match. And I would come home from school and get a snack, usually make myself a sandwich, sit down and watch some television shows. Usually in the afternoon there were game shows that were on. And uh, one of my favorite game shows, and I'm going to date myself a little bit, but that's okay, I'll explain it with all of us here this morning. One of my favorite game shows was a game show called Password. I don't know if you remember this game show called Password. But it was an interesting show to me because you had to engage the mind a little bit. There were there were usually four people on stage paired together, one pair working against the other pair. Each pair usually had its own celebrity. And there was the host, and the host would say in a very, very familiar, almost iconic way, and the password is... And then on the TV screen, the word would show up. Now, none of the four contestants could see that word, but we as the audience could see that word. And then it would go to the first pair who one person usually started with the celebrity would offer a word to help their partner guess what the password on the television screen is. Does that make sense? And I, I don't know, I just, I just thought it was a great show. And of course I went on to watch others like The Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, although I might get five, three to five percent of Jeopardy questions right. But for some reason, a uh, password I could do, and uh, Wheel of Fortune, Don and I always had fun uh, working on that one together. So what I wanted to do this morning is try uh, this game together, virtually, one time, called Password. And you're not going to be able to see the word, but I'd like to give, I'd like to be the person giving the clue, and I'd like for you to try and guess what the password is. Does that make sense? Are you ready to try it? We're only going to do it one time. No practice sessions. Here's the clue. Console. Console. Now, what's the first word that came into your mind? Somebody in here. I heard it, thank you. I heard it, comfort, comfort. Yeah, when I use the clue word, console, I'm hoping to elicit the response, and I'll tell you who it was, it was Len, ladies and gentlemen. Len Plick is in the house, give him a hand where you're at. Uh, Len said, comfort. My friends, the password for today is comfort. Let's read the text, Isaiah chapter 40. The first 11 verses. Comfort. Comfort my people, says God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now the familiar part. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now I'm going to point out some key words here. Every valley shall be rised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says to the prophet Isaiah, cry out. And I, Isaiah said, what shall I cry out, God? Cry out this. All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but, and it's a large, hefty, robust, concessive clause. The word of our God endures forever. You who brought good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who brought good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and rules with a mighty arm. See, the Lord's reward is with God and the Lord's recompense accompanies God. God tends his flock like a shepherd. God gathers the lambs in God's arms and carries them close to God's very heart. God gently leads those who have young. My friends, the reading of God's holy word. Today's text and the password is comfort. Comfort my people. This is a bold declaration in this text from the mouth and pen of a prophet whose name was Isaiah about the character of God that is offered to a demoralized, defeated, anxious, worn out, where is God people? I mean, does anybody feel that way right now? Is there anyone that needs a little comfort today? God says, comfort my people. Comfort from God's character. Comfort you will receive. I know I need some comfort. Can't do hugs. Can't touch, can't even get within, I mean, really, eight to ten feet of each other. But man, do we need comfort. Now, the kind of comfort that 
the prophet Isaiah talks about in this text is a different type of comfort than we are used to in our culture. In our culture, comfort comes more in the form of a sentiment or an emotion that I existentially, empirically feel. It's more of an emotion. It's more of a nostalgic feel-good. But the comfort in this text is different. It is an appeal to the character of God, who is the ultimate source of comfort. If, if we open up all of our faculties to receive the comfort of God, and it begins in our mind, in our ears as we hear, but it doesn't stay there. If we let it go deep, it seeps and grows deep. And we can begin to feel a softening of the heart because after all, we've, we've had to harden up. We've had to maintain a distance. Which means we have to create boundaries almost in our minds so that it doesn't go that deep. But God is asking us to let the comfort that comes from the character of God impact our brain, our minds, our cognition, our affect, our soul our behavior. But we have to allow God to do that in our lives. Therein lies the big if. <laughs> Comfort in this text to me comes in four verbs which are actually promises about the character of God. The first two verses, and I encourage you, if you don't have your Bible, go ahead, run and get it, and keep, keep your, your eyes on these verses. Verses 1 and 2 give us the first verb of God's comfort. And it is very simple. God forgives. My friends, be comforted in the fact that God forgives. God forgives the past. God declares in this text, in this very moment, a profound shift from the judgment of the prophet Isaiah which goes on from chapter 1 to chapter 39. What that means is from chapter 1 to chapter 39 in Isaiah, it covers the span of about 150 years when the people of God are in cap Babylonian captivity. Why? They turn their face from God. It's a consequence. They became demoralized. But in chapter 40, verse 1, the tense of the verbs change and they move from the past to the present future. In other words, the past goes away and the present declares a new day so that we can go forward and face the future and we're going to find out in the text as we make our way through it in hope with a new vision. This text is a hinge. Chapter 40, verse 1, is, is a door opening up with, with a door that hasn't been opened for 150 years and the hinges are rusty. And you can almost hear the door being pulled open and creaking open. I think my voice needs WD-40. Our gaze and perspective is no longer the fault of our past. God declares in this text, you will be comforted when, you're, when you find out and you know and you lean into the fact that I am a God who forgives. 
The years of Babylonian captivity is over. The past is the past, and now it's the future, and it pulls us forward always. The wait is over. The penalty is paid. Our time is served. God has forgiven! Exclamation mark. That's comforting. The regret of the past? The boy, I really wish I'd have done that. The realization that it takes two to wreck a, ruin a relationship. Yeah, we live in the consequences of that for a while, but it's not permanent because the door goes open and the past is in the rearview mirror, but we don't have a rearview mirror anymore. We have a front windshield to go forward in faith and hope. I've had the not sure what the way to put it is. I've had the privilege and opportunity to talk to my two brothers and mom almost every day this last week about family business. And in the midst of all that, we've shared some stories about our lives growing up, and I've learned some things about my grandparents, about my brothers, about my siblings, and they've learned some things about me. One of my brothers, I will not, I'll try not to divulge which one it is, told me that when my mom and dad and I are away, were away with one of my brothers on a baseball trip, the other brother stayed home. He was in high school. While we were gone, somehow a party exploded at our house. And unbeknownst to my brother, the sheer number of people that would come, he couldn't handle it. And my next-door neighbor, Mr. Conrad, who was a pilot for United Airlines for many, many years, had to come over with the police and help my brother usher people out and uh, clean up the mess. And I remember driving home with my mom and walking into the house after that had happened, and man, it smelled terrible. It looked like it had been cleaned up by my brother. And uh, my mom's face turned white. Mrs. Conrad, our next-door neighbor, came over. It was almost like she was waiting for us to drive in the driveway and said there was a big party here, and the police came, and my husband had to help, and my mom's face turned even whiter. Anyway, my brother got in big trouble. And uh, at the time, he was just about ready. He had just turned 16. And he was due to go get his driver's license. The part of this, and I knew about all that. The part of the story I did not know was that my parents were so upset with my brother, rightly so, that they told him this. They said, you're not going to be able to get your driver's license until you're, hi guys, until you're 17 years old. I didn't know that. But then he went on to say, he went on to say, but yeah, but... Then my dad had to take me over the course of two weeks to five hockey practices and three games. And he said, at the end of those two weeks, my dad drove me to the DMV and I got my, <laughs> I got my driver's license in a car within two weeks. So my brother 
experienced forgiveness from my parents, even though the sentence was a year. He was let go of his sentence because that door of comfort, of forgiveness, opened up. What's happening in this story is 150 years of consequence for the nation of Israel, the people of God. The sentence is now paid in full, and the door of forgiveness opens. And my friends, that is the comfort of God to declare today. God forgives. That's comforting. The second verb of God's comfort is God loves. Now, God's love is interesting here. It's, it's, a, it's a dialectic. It's a, a tension where the love of God is this and this at the same time. So the love of God in verses 3 to 5 is a love that holds strength and compassion together in a healthy tension. And is done in a perfect way, a way in which only God can do. The living tension is between what only God can do in those shalls that I brought to our attention as I read. Every valley shall be lifted up in strength. Every uneven ground shall become level in strength. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All of us shall see it together with God. All of this on the one hand of God, the strength of God, the loving strength of God to right the injustices of the wrong. God loves. Third verb, God hears. God hears. A voice in the text says, cry out. Isaiah says, but what do I cry out? You know what? Really good question. Really good question. Hey Lord, what do I cry out? I don't even know what to cry out. I tell you, here's what you need to cry out. You need to cry out the people are like grass. Oh wait, that's kind of a bummer message. What he's getting at is for us to recognize that we're not the center of the universe. God's the center of the universe. God, If God has the strength... <laughs> to lift up valleys, to level grounds, to show the glory of God so that all can see it. The strength of God, if the strength of God can do that, then the strength of God can, de- can lift a demoralized people when we recognize we're demoralized, when we recognize we're finite, when we recognize we've messed up, when we recognize we've tried to out God, God. So God says, cry out for help. This is the compassionate and tender touch of God in the midst of the strength of God. So for God to be loving, it is strong. And for God to hear us, it is compassionate. That's the dialectic. Has anyone here cried out lately? Have you said, hey man, I can't take this anymore. I am so tired of this. I want to see my kids. I want to see my friends. I want to... I want to go out and eat at a restaurant. And at 11.59 tonight, for the next three weeks, none of that's going to happen. So we cry out. We recognize we're grass. But we also recognize the strength of God in making all things right. That's the dialectic. 
So how far have we come so far? Well, we've realized that comfort means God forgives. Comfort means God loves in strength of God to right all wrongs, to correct all brokenness, to heal all pain. And we've also recognized (laughs) that God hears us. That's compassionate. That's the compassion of God. I've had a lot of fun watching my oldest daughter with her now two children, Cora, who's three, and August. I call him Augie. Actually, I call him A-Dog. And he's a porker, man. He's chubby. He eats well. He's been eating well in the pandemic. But there's something about the strength of a mother and the compassion of the mother, the tenderness, the caring, the protection, that have to be together for love to be love. It's the same way with God. It's a God who loves in strength and a God who tenderly holds, kisses, combs the hair of an infant. Envision yourself as an infant now. In a way that we know we're heard. And only God can do that. So we cry out. We've got all the virus levels. And the playing field for this is every single one of us. The virus doesn't know language, it doesn't know gender, it doesn't know political preference, it doesn't know age, it doesn't know economics, it doesn't really know anything. It just knows a host. (laughs) And we're demoralized, you know. And yet, comfort, hear the words of comfort, God forgives, God loves in strength to right the wrong of that. But there's time involved. It doesn't happen overnight. And so we lament and we cry out because that's part of God attending pastorally to each of us. So that the fourth verb of comfort allows us to actually walk through this door and face what this text is all about. Future tense. No longer that. Line in the sand. Now it's this. We can hope. We can hope. Because of the character of who God is. The promises of God. That will make all things straight. First in Jesus Christ. We're living in that now. And the tension of it not fully being realized yet. The text says, get to a high place above the phrase so you can realize it. Lift up your voice. Lift up your countenance. Lift up your emotions, your physicality. Do not fear. The text says, here is your God. Here is your God. Not scientists, although they're important. Not politics, although they can be important. Not local leaders, although we listen to them. The text says, here is your God. 
who comes with might, the arm of justice. Reward is here. And this God will feed us and gather us and carry us and lift us up and gently lead us in tender strength. There's no blaming speech here. There's no bursts of rage here. Rather, in the lyric of the poetry of comfort, forgiveness, love, compassion, and hope, our God is here. Walk in the future hope of that new reality. Do not be drawn to the past. Only walk forward with a God who is here. So in the midst of all this difficult stuff, too much to enumerate, we cry out, here is our God. Here is our God, friends. Here is our God who forgives. Here is our God who loves. Here is our God who listens. Here is our God who fills us with future hope. The path is being made straight. We cry it out and sing it out in Handel's Messiah every year at this time. Here is your God. Here is your God. My friends, may these words fill you with comfort this day. Why? And the password is comfort. Let's pray. Comfort, comfort my people. We turn to the strength and the character of God who forgives, who loves, who hears, who puts the past behind, the past behind. Forgive us when we drag our feet and our memory wants to go to the past. Give us the courage to receive forgiveness. Give us the courage to receive God's love. Give us the courage to cry out so that God hears and listens so that we can all move forward in the future in a new direction with the God who leads through Emmanuel. Because when we do that, the roads and the path will be made straight. Come, Lord Jesus, come. As we prepare for this, may these words be more than just words, but a reality we live in. In your strong name we pray. Amen.